Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. talking about today. We are uh, in week number two of this series called Life, Money, Hope. And uh, today I'm going to give you all three parts of that. We're going to talk a little bit about life. We're going to talk a lot about money. And I'm going to give you a lot, a lot of hope. And um, it's really important. We, we take time every year to talk about the subject of money. If it's your first Sunday here, maybe you're like, man, can't believe it. First time I've been in church in years and they're talking about money. Well, let me tell you something. Here's why we talk about money, especially around this time of year as we head into the holiday season. A lot of us have really good intentions to hold on to our money and do well with our budgets, but the advertisers and the marketers out there want something completely opposite from us. They want to take our hard-earned cash from us in exchange for their deals. And that's, that's the whole point. We have something called Black Friday. Like their whole point is that one day of shopping that you all will get involved in will help bring them into the black for the year, right? That means positive because there's the red and the black. The red is where they are before that day and after that day because we spend so much money, it puts them back in the black, all right? It's not just an ACDC song, okay? It's, it's their goal. They want to be back in black. And so we have a tendency to go into the holiday season and dig ourselves a hole. And if that's not bad enough, most of us don't have good habits, good financial habits in place for the rest of the year. So we've already dug ourselves a hole. And then we get to the Christmas season and we just dig ourselves a, a, a deeper hole. We just find ourselves in a mess. And so what, I, what I'd like you to do today is just offer you some hope. And, and, and let me give you our key verse for this whole series, all right? It comes out of the book of Haggai. And uh, it's chapter 1, verse 5 says, Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So you need to understand, first of all, in your life, if you want to start fixing things, the thing that you need to address first is your thinking. If you look, take inventory on your life and you look and say, I'm not getting the results that I want, that this is not what I expected for my life, then you need to begin to look at your life. You need to look at the framework of it and understand there are principles involved that all stem from your way of thinking. So you need to change the way you think if you'd like to change your life. The verse continues and says, you have planted much, but have harvested little. In other words, you're trying, but whatever it is that you're trying to do in your life just isn't working. We're trying lots of different things that, that aren't necessarily God's ways of doing things, and they're never going to work, is what we're finding out. It says, you eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm, which is the verse of every woman I've ever met. And every man sitting in here just looked, just looked real quick at their, yep. It's true. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anybody identify with that? You get your paycheck and it's gone before you even knew what happened to it. So this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. And that's the second time this verse has said that. And when the Bible repeats itself, you need to be paying attention. So if any of those sound familiar in your life, if life has gotten frustrating in any area, then maybe what we need to do is adopt some new thinking. 
That, that's what we need to do. Billy Graham said this. He said, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. Th this is true. You know, statistics actually prove this, that money has a massive impact on the different areas of our life. It has the impact on our rest, which impacts our health. It has impact on our marriages. Most marriages that head to divorce court and wind up getting divorced, you know the reason that they cite for their cause of divorce? Money. Money. It, money also has an impact on your career. You say, well, what career I choose so I make the most? No, it has an impact this way. If, you, if money was not an option in your life, what is it you would... would <laughs> Sometimes I English... We'll just go backwards, right? If money was not an issue in your life, what would you do with it? What, what kind of career would you have? If money wasn't the thing, if you weren't working for money, what would you do with your life? That's a big question. See, money impacts that kind of stuff. And so it's really important that we get these things right. It's important that we, we talk about the issues in our life that, that things like debt have caused. And so that's where I want to target today. Because I think we've gotten into a debt cycle that has trapped a lot of us. I think it's a problem uh, in churches today, and even with me, that, that I, I'm, I'm kind of shy to talk about money. I'll talk about lots of opportunities for you to give, like this blanket drive. We have lots of missionaries. We have missionaries that come through. We've got our, our One Child Matters kids, where you can personally sponsor a child. We've got mission trips that we can be part of. We have lots of things that we can do that you can give to, like financially give to and be a part of. And so I present those opportunities to you, and these opportunities just frustrate you. And I'm learning this, that the reason you're frustrated is not because the opportunities exist, it's because you can't participate. You can't, see, I don't think Christians have a generosity issue. Most Christians I know have received God's grace, and they, in return, are very graceful and are very generous. The problem is, is that it's not a heart issue where they don't want to give. It's a hands issue. They're tied. We're in so much debt that we can't even be a part of being as generous as our hearts want to be. And so my goal is to help you find freedom in that area of your life. I don't want to frustrate you. I want to help you. I want you to have freedom in your life and to have hope. In fact, the, the subject of money is so important that 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus told were about money. He talked about, the Bible talks about money five times more than prayer, and it talks about money more than heaven and hell combined in the Bible. It's an important topic. Why? Because God knew that it was going to be the number one contender for that place in your heart that belongs to him. He knew that. So it's, it's important that I talk about money. It's important that we talk about how we got there. Now, now, I want you to understand, even though I'm talking about debt, and I'm going to assume everybody in this room has some. I'm not coming down on you because you have debt. In fact, most of us have debt because this is the way everybody does it. The world models this for us. Our parents probably modeled it for us. Our friends modeled it for us. In fact, we get marketed to, like every single day, I get two to three invitations to open a credit card a day. They, that's where people, that's where the, the industry is making their money is off of credit, not necessarily off of the product that they're selling. And so we get marketed to all the time. So I'm not blaming you for being in debt. In fact, I want you to understand, we've got all these models that, of, of it, even right down to our government. Our government is like, is $20 trillion in debt. 
$20 trillion they are spending currently, I looked it up this morning, 127% of their budget. That means they're spending more money than they actually have on a regular basis. And this is our government. And they're acting like none of that matters. Like there, there isn't going to be a day of reckoning on that. That's how they're spending their money. It's like no bigs. And we do the same thing. Most Americans are operating at, at or above their income level. We do it because this is what everybody does. So I'm not, I'm not shaming you. Don't feel that I'm doing any of that today. I'm not doing that. I've realized that you're, you're there because everybody else is. But we, we can't think and be so naive as to think that there's not going to be a day of reckoning, that it's not eventually going to cost us dearly. And I believe that God wants us to find freedom in these areas of our life. Debt has become so common. I, I, I remember a time, and I was actually, so <laughs> I get up early in the morning, and I, and I kind of preach through this message before I ever get here on stage. And, uh, and I said these words and actually started laughing out loud. Uh, I said the words, back in the day, and I began to feel so old. <laughs> I mean, I'm 38 years old, but I began to feel so old because I know this one thing. See, back in the day, we got into debt for houses and cars. Nowadays, if you all want a phone or even a meal, you'll go into debt for it. We didn't do that back in the day. In fact, if we wanted something back in the day, we would go into a store and say, listen, I would like this product, but I don't have the cash for it now. So I'm going to give you what I do have so that you take it off your shelf. And then I'm going to come back and make payments on it. And then when I pay it off completely, I'll come and take it. And I'll take it home. And this process is called yeah, layaway, right? You young people are like, what's a layaway? What does that mean? <laughs> Didn't that go bankrupt with Kmart? <laughs> oh, is it too soon? Too soon. <laughs> it's one of the only places around here I know you could still do layaway. That was actually a concern. When they went out, I was like, what are people that can't get credit going to do? And so I, this layaway thing, man, the, the difference between layaway and credit, young people don't know about this, but, but with layaway, when you go and, got, and pay, make the final payment on that thing, you get it brand new. Most of y'all are getting stuff on credit. When you make your final payment on it, you don't even know where it is anymore. You've lost interest in it. It's in your basement, or you threw it away, gave it away. It's possible you even ate it because you go out to eat with it, right? And so that's why it's called consumer debt. It's not attached to anything except you because it's not likely when you pay the thing off that you've even got it anymore. The debt's still around when the product isn't. And so I think that's a problem. And I think God wants us to be free in these areas of our lives. So it's important that as we talk about, which by the way, I will. I'm not just coming down on everybody. We're going to talk about how to get out of this today. But, but in order to understand how to get out, we also need to understand how we got here. All right? It, it's important that we understand that. And today's message, while it is, it is primarily focused on finances, the financial part of it, I want you to understand that what I'm going to share with you today, the way we got into this mess and the way that we get out of this mess is the same in every area of your life. It, it, it's going to be the same for your finances. It's going to be the same in your marriage. It'll be the same in your relationships. It'll be the same clear across the board. So what I, I want you to do is, is make sure that you're taking notes. And some of you are sitting there with your arms crossed because you got it made. And you're like, Aaron, I'm not in a... In a desperate situation right now, so I'm fine. I don't need to take notes. Listen, can I just tell you something? Someday, you're going to be in a desperate situation, and you're like, my God, pastor, be positive. 
I am positive. Positive you're going to be in a desperate situation someday. So go ahead and take notes, lest you and I have to wind up in my office someday, and I'll preach this message to you personally again, and you can take notes then. So just save yourself some time and take notes this morning, all right? It'll help you for later on. You can dig the notes out. But we're going to look at this through the lens of a, a, a story, a fable, or a parable. But Jesus told parables, simple stories, to help people understand powerful truths. And so we're going to look at this message, this, these principles on how, to, how you got into the mess and how you get out of the mess through the story of the prodigal son. This is found in Luke 15, and it says this, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Basically, what you need to understand, what this young man is saying to his dad is, I wish you were dead. Because an inheritance is something you receive when mom and dad die. And so he came to his dad with this arrogant and rude request and said, Dad, I want stuff. And I want your stuff. The stuff that you're going to give me when you're dead. So if you could, please just give it to me now so that I can have it. It was total disregard for his dad. Now his dad obliges him. He never should have done that. But I think you'll see a wise heart of a father in this who says to a young man, this is not what you want. But I'm going to let you have it just so that you can learn that this is not really what you want. And so the father concedes. And it divides up. It says, so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And he did what a lot of us don't intend to do, although I'm certain he had this in mind when he did it. The Bible says he squandered his wealth in living that doesn't matter. It says simply wild living. It was living that just did not matter. And after that, he spent everything. There was a famine in that whole country. Now, I think this is always going to happen. I think life is always going to hand us circumstances. And the choices that you've made, well, there's going to be a reckoning. See, if you've made wise choices with your finances or your relationships, all these things, if you made wise choices that when a famine comes into your life, whatever that looks like, some kind of circumstance that, that maybe you had nothing to do with, that if you're ready for it, if you're assured up yourself, if you've lived wisely, then you'll weather that well. But most of us, we wind up into desperate situations because we have not acted wisely and a famine comes. These are the prayer requests I get oftentimes from people. Hey, I'm, I, listen, all I want you to do, Pastor, I want you just to pray that the famine goes away. I want you to pray that he changes his mind. I want you to change that, that I get a check in the mail, that, that, that my finances change. I want you to, ch- I want you to pray that this, that this stops. And I do, and I do, because and I, I believe God's compassionate. I believe he's merciful full of grace and ready to respond to those prayer requests. But I'm going to tell you this. I really believe that God takes the famine that comes into your life and he uses it with purpose. And the purpose is to simply get your attention, to help you realize your need for him. And so there's oftentimes I'll grab people's hands and I'll pray with them and I believe God will answer and respond to that. But I'll tell you what I do sometimes, just sometimes. This is going to sound really mean of me. Sometimes I pray, God, Let them experience whatever pain they need to experience in their life so that they realize their need for you. Because while grace and mercy gets our our attention and we love that part of it, sometimes pain in our life gets through to our selfish hearts. And so I pray, maybe you don't like me anymore. Like, this is my first time here. I ain't never coming back. That pastor's mean. I love you, and that's why I pray that way. 
And so it says, and he began to be in need. So the famine comes, the kid's not ready, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Basically, he tried a natural solution instead of a biblical one before trying a biblical one. And it says that and he, uh, he went to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Look, you can try everything that the devil has to offer you in this life to find satisfaction, contentment, and fulfillment. You, you can try everything you want to. It will always wind you up in a pig pen because what he's got to offer you is not near as, near as beautiful and fulfilling as what God has for you. So this kid goes in, into the pig pen, and when you get to that place and you realize where you're at, you're welcome to come back to God's ways. You'll be back. I know that. But we've all tried things in our life, haven't we? Me included. Well, we knew it was the wrong way, but we just had to try it. We knew it wasn't God's best for us, but we had to see. And that's what this young man is doing. And when he did it, he wound up in a mess, and we wind up in a mess too. And it says that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So this is his story of how he got into that mess. This is our story of how we get into that mess. In our relationships, in our marriages, in our finances, in our career, in every area of our life, this is how we get here. And so let me, let me kind of break it down for you and point out what happened. The first thing that happened for this young man and for us is that we believe a lie. He believed that what he wanted most was stuff. And so he discarded his relationships and everything that was actually eternal and valuable in his life. And that's the same for us. The enemy has one tool that he uses against us. And that's the lie. He tells us a lie, and we buy into it, and we therefore act on it. Like he'll tell you in your marriage, well, he's better than, than your husband. He's better to you. He says nicer things to you. He's there for you. He's listened to you. He's the one you should be with, not your husband. Or he'll say, she's, she's prettier than your wife. Maybe she bakes apple pie better than your wife does. He'll tell you all kinds of lies and try to get you to believe that the grass is greener on the other side, but he doesn't tell you how high the water bill is over there. Hello? Because see, if the grass is greener over there, it means there's somebody's watering it more. Your grass could be just as green if you just water it over here. You could pay a price here, or when you get over there, it'll cost you everything you had over there. Your family, your spouse, everything. And so we, the devil lies to us and we believe it. And I think there's a lot of myths and lies that we buy into regarding our finances. We believe those lies and we need to come back to biblical perspectives, biblical principles because they're the only ones that work. This week I saw a, uh, I read a study, a survey. It's not a new survey. It's, it's, uh, it, it's an old one. It's from the 90s. But it's, it's called The Day America Told the Truth. And what it did was it surveyed a bunch of people and it asked them this one question. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? And the people answered accordingly. 25% of people would abandon their entire family. 23% would become a prostitute for a week. 16% would give up their American citizenship. 10% would withhold testimony, letting a murderer go free. 7% would kill a stranger. In other words, I don't know the person and if I kill them, I get $10 million, I'm in. That, that's how they answered. And 3% said that they would put their children up for adoption. Now, some of you are here today, and you're like, I wouldn't even take any money. I'll do it for free. You can have my kids today. <laughs> just, we'll just leave them in the kids' ministry. You can take them home. It'll be fine. <laughs> well, 
But when you look at the, the issue, how we wound up in this mess, the root causes that you'll find, whether you're from a secular or biblical perspective, is that people are self-absorbed. We care only about ourselves. We want more for us, and we've almost got this idea that we deserve it. And this whole focus on self, there's a biblical word for it, and it's the word pride. It's I'm just thinking about me. And so this, the seed of every bad road that you can walk down begins with pride. Every de selfish decision you make starts there. Something inside you says, I deserve it or I need it. And so you, you follow that seed of pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So if you want to stop destruction from being in your life, if you'd like to see that happen, how do you do that? Well, you have to know what causes it and stop it. And so if you, if you want to live a life of pride, you can, or you can live a life of humility and contentment. And if you live a life of humility and contentment, you cannot be lured into pride. Because the person who is already grateful for what they have and, doesn't, and can't even believe that they deserve what it is that they have is not lusting or longing for something else. They don't long for what they don't have. And so since pride goes before a fall, if you don't want to fall, live a life of humility. For me, I don't know if you've grown up in church, but I, I grew up in church. And I've seen my fair share of men and women in ministry fall. I've watched them as, they, as they've lost their lives, lost their spouses, lost their families, lost their ministry, all because of pride. A seed of pride that was planted in their hearts that led to a dark road that they walked down. And so every day, every, 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 every Sunday when I'm done here on Sunday mornings, because I know this, one of the things that I do, every Sunday I walk out this door, you'll see me do it today, and there's two rooms that adjoin this space before I hit the foyer to greet you and say, have a great week and talk to you. I stop in one of those rooms and I pray. And I say, say God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for people that said yes today. Thank you, Lord, that you were glorified today. Thank you, God, for the ministry that you're doing here, for lives that are changed. And I thank him for all of that. Why? Because I know that it has absolutely nothing to do with me. And I also know that everything that you hold in your life and don't turn back to God in praise turns into pride. It would be foolish of me to think that anything that's happening here has to do with me. I'm not smart enough or handsome enough to have, to, to have any of this to do with me. And some of you don't need to agree with me so quickly on that, all right? But I, I know that, 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 it's not, that it's not about me. I know that, it, that, it's not, that, that what Jesus is doing here doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm not special. He loves his church. He loves this city. He loves this community and this world. And so everything that we have, everything that we're doing, every opportunity that is presented to us is because of him. And so I know that the man that's on his face can't fall from that place. And so I constantly turn everything back to praise to God so that I don't fall because of pride. And this is what we have to do. We have to live a life of humility. We need to be humble. And the last thing any of us needs to do is to think too much of ourselves. And the one thing that we cannot hide in our life is pride. It always leads up to a fall. And that's what happened with the prodigal. Now, if you let the prideful spirit stay in your life, what it does is it, is it plays out and leading to you engaging in self-destructive behavior. That's what happens. That little seed turns into self-destructive 
behavior. And so the prodigal, it says that he engaged in wild living, living that, that didn't matter. The reason that we end up in places we don't want to be is because we let our lives get undisciplined. It, it's, it's lives that are mismanaged. And so what we need to do is maintain our disciplines. I think that, that if you live a disciplined life, man, you get up every day, you pray, you read your Bible, you go to church, you invest into your marriage, you invest in your relationships, you take care of your body, you take care of your mind. I believe that your life would be very, very different. But the problem is, is we let go of these things. And a life mismanaged will always lead to some type of self-destructive behavior that you never wanted to be in. And so, so if, if you don't know if you're in those behaviors, let me help you with a few, few key phrases that people tend to say. They say, well, I just can't help myself. You're saying that about yourself, it's possible that you're engaged in self-destructive behaviors, or I deserve this, or what harm could it do? You know, it's really not that bad. I mean, Aaron, it's just a little bit of porn. I'm not sleeping around on my wife. I'm, I mean, it's just, it, it's just a little bit of flirting with, with him. I mean, he's, you know, nobody touched anybody. It's just innocent. We justify. And the Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way of life that looks harmless enough Look again, it leads straight to hell. And so if you want to catch yourself before you get to a dark hole financially or any areas of your life, you need to realize that, that you need some, your life is simply mismanaged. It, it's just mismanaged. So in humility, go back and put your life in order. Prioritize those disciplines in your life again. Pick them up, and you'll see the pieces begin to come back together. I, I talk to people often, and, and, and one of my... Favorite stories to share, and, and I, I love listening to her talk about her journey, is Kyle. She's one of our, uh, one of our, our directors here at this church, and she's been on a, on a bodybuilding uh, journey, and she's won many awards for her work, and people come up to her and talk to her all the time about her, her efforts and how she got there. And she's like, well, if you want what I have, you've got to do these disciplines. And, and many people turn away and go, no, that's okay. I'm not gonna, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. But if you want what you used to have, you need to do what you used to do. Or if you want what you've never had, you'll have to do what you've never done. Somebody should be taking notes. That was good. I'm like it. I wasn't even in my notes. That was just free for you. But if you don't do this thing, the next thing will happen. You'll isolate yourself from the people who can help. The prodigal son did that. When he made his decision and asked for all his money, it says that he eventually left. He eventually left to go live wild living. He didn't want people to see what he was doing. He wanted to hide. He wanted to hide among people that didn't know him because it was easier to do that than to be known. And that's what we do all the time. We, we remove ourselves from God. We stop going to church. We remove ourselves from others so we don't get too close to anybody. So they don't know the pain that we're in. So they don't know the hole that we put ourselves in. We, we don't want them to know. It's easy enough, easier to hide, to wear a mask and, and just post good pictures on Facebook. Everything's fine. We're good here. It's all fine. We want people to see our highlight reel instead of the places where we're in pain. And we don't let people know what's going on in our lives. And, you, and if, they, if you're in this place, you'll say things like this. Well, I don't owe you an explanation. Or they don't understand me. Or I don't need them. Or I can do it on my own. You give these excuses so that you can push people out of your lives so that they don't know who you are. They don't know what's going on. And you don't feel like they need to. Proverbs 18.1 says this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And you need to understand that if you ignore this, that your need for people in your life, a place where you can take off the mask and reveal your pain, 
If you ignore this, then you're going to end up in a spot that I, as your pastor, do not want you in. I want you to avoid it. Because, listen, I didn't, I'm not preaching this message because I want something from you. I want something for you. And you need to understand that. I want you to have every bit of freedom that God has for your life. But you can't have it doing things the way that everybody else does them, the way that the world does them. You understand? And so I'm preaching this way because I want you to have hope and I want you to have freedom. But if you don't do this, if you keep yourself in isolation, you're going to wind up in a dark place. You're going to wind up in a place just like the prodigal did in in a desperate situation where you're on a pig farm and you want to eat pig slop. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a farm before, but I have. And I don't know if you've ever seen pig slop. It says the pods that the pigs were going to eat. This is everything that was on the farmer's plate that he didn't want to eat and everything else that nobody else wanted. It's the junk. It's the leftovers. It's the remains. And it's all in this nasty slop. And they pour it into the into the. And you got to watch out, man, when you go to feed a pig. You get your hand in there, it will be chewed off too. They don't care what they're eating. So if that's the place you want to be, then, then keep people out of your life. And you'll wind up in a dark place. And many of us do the same thing. We, we, we push people out and we wind up in this dark place just like the, the prodigal did. And we live like everyone else. Why? Because we think like everyone else. We've got a problem with our thinking. Do you know the average American has 16 credit cards today? 16. That's crazy to me. But I'm no different. When I, when I started out on my own, man, I, I started out with a seat of pride in my life. Like, I can handle this. And I took on a credit card. I remember my first one, I got one of the hip ones. I didn't get, Discover, or I didn't get a, a Visa or MasterCard. I got Discover because that was the new one. That was the one that gave you cash back, baby. I wanted that one. I like cash. Lies. It's all lies. And I didn't understand it. I didn't understand credit. So I got this credit card, and I was working at the Gap. And I was like, dude, because, you know, like 20 years ago, like that was, everybody wanted to wear the Gap, right? They were the first ones to have the dirty wash jeans, you know, and the, they, the ones that they sold them with the holes in them. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they came that way. They came dirty and, and holy. And you paid like 30 extra dollars for that. Somebody pre-wore your jeans. And so... I was working there, and I, the Gap was my second job because I needed to finance the clothes that I wanted to wear. Well, I couldn't finance them fast enough, so I got a credit card because they gave you a card where everything was 30% off all the time, but there was like, I think it was like six items a month that were 50% off. And so, man, I wanted, to, I wanted to look like everybody that worked there, and so I bought lots of Gap clothes, and I filled up that credit card really fast. And I didn't know at the time you could call and ask them to extend your credit limit, so I just ordered another one. And they sent me another credit card because I looked at the minimum payment on that card and how it was maxed down. I was like, oh, $35, I can pay that. I can pay that the rest of my life. That's easy. I'll take another card, please, so I can have all this stuff now. That's what everybody does, right? And so they they made it really easy for me. So I got a second card. And then I'm out to eat with my friends, and the bill comes, and it's over 100 some dollars. And I'm like, I'll take that. I got it, guys. And everybody's like, you really got it? I got it. I didn't. I didn't, but I could pay for it right then, right? And then I got the bill, $35 a month. I, so I got a 35 here and a 35 here, but I didn't realize that all I was paying was interest. I, was, I believed a lie. And then, and then I, it's time to get an apartment. I move out for my parents, and I move in with a friend. I could have, should have moved in with three or four other guys just to save money on my rent, save money now and build up, build up a nest egg for getting married and having kids and do all this stuff. I didn't do that. Me and my buddy said, hey, we can afford this. We can do this. Just two of us. 
in this apartment. So we did. And then I went out and bought a fancy car. Wasn't fancy, you know, maybe to you, but it was, it was $315 a month. That was a lot of money for me, you know, from a guy that, was, that went from paying like $100 a month. I, I, I got myself an, a nice car, one of those Grand Ams, like when they made them look like a monster. Oh, I liked them. And I had to have one. So I went out and got one. I was living at my means and beyond. And then when life happened, when I found myself young, married, and pregnant with twins, with one income, not, you know, my roommate helping me now with my apartment, when life handed me a famine, I realized all the mistakes that I had made. My car got repossessed. That was embarrassing. Having to call off work. Why are you calling off? Yeah, I'm calling off for repossession. Um, are you sick? No, no, my car got repossessed. Put you on, can you put, I'm going to put you on speakerphone. Hey, everybody, get in here. Why are you calling off? My car is repossessed. That's embarrassing. Having to find a ride to work. Telling your boss what happened and then paying her cash and, under, and buying her car from her. Having to go through bankruptcy. Having my parents have to subsidize me to two to $300 a month to even help me pay my car payment, my wife's car payment, let alone pay for groceries in the apartment. Like, I mean, I was in a desperate place. And I got there because I believed a lie. I got there because I acted upon that lie. I got there because I lived wildly and did, did self-destructive behaviors. I, I didn't tell my parents what I was going through until I was already in the mess and hurting so bad. And, and many of you do the same and have done the same in your life. You believe the lie, you've acted upon it, you begin self-destructive behaviors, and then you wind up in a desperate place all alone. We've done, we've done this in every area of our lives, over and over again, and we do this. But here's how you feel. The Bible says in Psalms 88, 8, it says, you have made my friends to loathe me, and your friends don't even like you anymore. You're in such a mess. And they've gone away, and I'm in a trap with no way out. That's how many of us feel. We're in a trap with no way out, but this to understand is a lie. There is a way out, bless God. And this is your moment to receive a whole helping full of hope. Because when you're in a desperate situation, you need to understand that this is the one thing that gets God's tension the most. That though you feel like he's far from you, that is the furthest from the truth. Psalms 34 says that the Lord is near to those who are discouraged and he sees those who have lost all hope. Let me put it to you plainly. God is just like every parent is in the world. When your kids were young, where did they want to play? Right there at your feet, right? And then as they got a little older, they were okay playing in the other room. And then they'd play outside and upstairs. And as they grew, they, they began to move away from you as you played. But same as, as when they're far as when they're close by, that, that when they fall and hurt themselves, what do they want? They want you near. And when a child cries out in pain, what happens? Even if they're in the other room or outside or upstairs or at school, what does a parent do? When you get that call that your child is hurt, nothing matters except being close to them. God is the same way that when you are in pain, when you are hurting, when you are broken, he is close. He is close to you like a good father should be. So if you've lost all hope today, I want you to know that this message is for you. Specifically from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this is the message paraphrase. It says, all you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He's always there to help you come through it. You can get through this thing. That's what God's saying. That's his word, and it's true. There's nothing that you've done that is past the point 
of return today. It's not too far. It's not too late for a God that raises dead things, all right? It doesn't matter if you're experiencing death in your finances, death in your marriage, death in your relationships, death in your career, death in your body. It is never too late for a God that raises dead things. Now, I'm preaching about 60% better than you're shouting today, and that's all right. I just want you to know that. Don't lose hope. That's what happened to the prodigal. He realized, it says, when he came to his senses, when he realized who his father was, that was the realization. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men? His mind went to his father. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? He makes a plan. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. See, look, he didn't just think about it because that's what a lot of us do. We think about it. We talk about it. This kid got up and did something about it. He, he did something about it. So it says he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, you got to love this verse because it reveals the very nature of God. It says that while the father's sitting on the porch, he's looking for him. And he's watching and waiting for him, saying, is today the day my son's going to return? Nothing else was important to him. He's got a whole farm. He's got a whole business to take care of. And nothing was as important as watching the horizon for his son that had walked away. He's watching for him. Saying, I wonder if today he'll come back. And I think God is watching for us today. I wonder if today is the day that they're going to let me into their finances. I wonder if today is the day they're going to let me into the brokenness in their marriage. I wonder if today is the day that they're going to let me in. I wonder if it's today. If you do decide that today is the day, watch what happens. It says the father was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the dad said, no way. He said, no way. He said, come on back into the house. My son has returned. And here's what happens. When you decide to come back to God's ways in any area of your life, do you know what God does? He throws a party. He throws a party because that's what he did. He threw a party because his son had returned. And so that you can do the same thing that the boy did. God's attitude is the same to you, towards you as the father's is towards that son. He's waiting and watching for you to return. And he's waiting to have a party. In celebration of your return. And so you can do the same as the boy to find your way out because the progression is the same. Here's, here it is real quick for you. If you're in, a, in debt or in a desperate place, the first thing you need to do is acknowledge the reality of where you are. Most battles are won just by simply stating and admitting it was your fault. I'm the one. Pick me. My bad. I did it. It wasn't because somebody tricked me. I didn't fall into it. I made choice after choice after choice after choice after choice. And here I sit in the middle of this mess. It was me. That's the first step towards getting better is admitting that. We're in debt up to our eyeballs, buying things we can't afford with money we don't have to impress people we really don't care about. And we're in pain, losing sleep at night over it. You just need to admit it. It was me. I did it, God. Just own it. There's a biblical truth, and I think it's what keeps people from, from admitting that they did it is because they think God expects you to be perfect, and he never has that, ex that expectation of you. He doesn't. It, it's not a shameful thing. It's not a wrong thing. There's, it's not a problem for you to come to him and say, I've messed up. In fact, that's what he asks you to do. In fact, that's what I ask my kids to do. My kids, I said, listen, 
if you'll come to me and confess and just tell me the truth about what you've done, the consequences that are associated to me, I'll release you of them. There may be consequences that life will hand you for your choices. Like my boy, he pulled the fire, the fire, um, the fire alarm. He didn't mean to at the school, but he did. He called me, Dad, I pulled the fire alarm. And he'd already called me after he went and owned it and said, hey, this is what I did. I did it. It was me. He didn't mean to. It was an accident. But he called me and let me know. So that way, those consequences for me were removed. He's, they still gave him a day off of school for that. That was nice of him. But, uh, but he owned it. I say, hey, if you tell me, then the consequences for me go away. And that's what God is looking for us to do. He says, listen, if you confess your faults, if you confess your sins to me, I'll be faithful to forgive them. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for you to say what you did. Because honestly, do we understand that God's omniscient, that word means all-knowing. He already knows what mess you've made. He already knows what things you've done. Why are you trying to hide from him? Just tell him. Just tell him what you did. Just, just own it. He does not expect perfection. In fact, I've had to pray a prayer that King David prayed multiple times in my life. See, King David was a man after God's own heart, but he was also a murderer and an adulterer. And he had to come to God and pray this prayer. It says in, in Psalm 51, it says, I've been out of step with you for a long time. He had to confess this to God, tell the truth to him and own it. He said, I've been in the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth, not perfection. Truth from the inside out. Now, I want to share something with you. Most people think that the Psalms are written in that book in chronological orders. Like Psalm 52 came after Psalm 51 was written, right? That makes sense. But that's not actually how they're in there. In fact, Psalm, uh, this Psalm 50, uh, 30, excuse me, ah, 51 was written before Psalm 32. And Psalm 32 is a reflection of David's time. Look what he says. He says, when I kept it all inside, in other words, when I didn't confess, when I didn't talk to God about it, he said, my bones turned to powder, and my words became day-long roads. In other words, it was eating me up inside, and all I did was whine and cry about it. He said, then I let it out. I said, I'll make a clean breast of my failures to God. And suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved and my sin disappeared. See, God is not looking for perfection. He is looking for you to confess, I did it. It was me. Because there's freedom in that. There's freedom in acknowledging that you did it. Just own it. So it's not enough to have this feeling. And just prayer, prayer, though. Understand that that's the first step in the process. The second step in the process is to do something about it. Too many times we pray a prayer here, and you say, Lord, I, I want you in my life. I want to do things your way. And then you walk out and just continue to do things your way instead of God's ways. We, we need to adjust. And so the prayer we'll pray, pray here in the moment is an important one, but it's not the only step that we need to take. The second thing you need to do is develop a plan of attack. The prodigal son had a plan. He said, I'm going to go back to my dad, and I'm going to say this. Now, it wasn't the right plan. But it was a plan, and so you need to have one. And I think it's our role as a church to help you have a plan. That's why we have grow groups. If you're hiding who you are, you need to be in a group of people so that you can take off that mask and reveal the situation that you're in. You'll learn how to follow Jesus better with other people anyway. So you need to get into a group. That's why we've got them. So that you can get to know some people. They can get to know you. They can love you and encourage you, serve you, and help you on your journey. We have lots of groups to help you find freedom in every area of your life, specifically financially. If you need one, we have what's called the Financial Freedom Group. If you don't have a plan, don't know how to make a plan, get into that group. Here's your step. February, we're going to do another one. We're doing one right now, and I love sitting in there. People will come in every week. Man, I'm doing this. I'm thinking, 
this step of the plan. I'm, I'm acting this out in my life. I'm seeing growth. In this. I, I, it's just, it's awesome to watch people write a plan and follow it. If you don't have a plan, here's your plan. February, get into the financial freedom group, all right? That's your step. But get a plan. Create guidelines for your life that will help you. You know, you may have to humble yourself and take used furniture. You may have to take used clothing or a used car instead of all the new shiny things in order to get yourself out of the hole that you're in financially. You, you, may, you may have to. Do whatever it takes, but get a plan. An easy one that Dave Ramsey gives is this one. These are just four quick things. Debt is bad, saving is good, giving is fun, and stuff is meaningless. This is the motto he lives by, and this is the principle that guides his life. So get a plan. Live your life this way because there's happiness on the other side of living out this plan. In other words, do what others won't do today so that you can do what others can't do tomorrow. Well, that's helpful. That'll change your life. The next thing you need to do is not just have a plan, but you need to do it and do it today. Do it today. Do it now. The Bible says this, that I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. There's what, these, what we call these now moments in your life. And you need to seize it when a now moment comes along. And you need to understand right now is your moment. This is your moment, so, so do it now. And the last thing I'm going to share with you, and I'm, and I'm all done for the day. I could talk about this for a long time, but it's humbly ask God for help. Humbly ask God, own it. Get, get, a, get a plan. Start today. And then ask God for help with it. You know, humility puts you back in the favor of God. Humbling yourself and asking him for help puts you back in a place that you're going to want to be in. You know, when I, when I married Shanda, she came into the marriage with some debts, and I had filed bankruptcy a few years before, so I was working out of that and rebuilding my financial plan. And so she and I looked at our finances and said, you know, we really need to get a grip on this. And we made a plan. And it was amazing because when you make a financial plan to get out of debt, Based on your plan, you can determine a timeline. Ours looked like seven years to get out of debt based on how we were currently able to pay. But I want to tell you something. It didn't take us seven years to get out of debt, to deal with all that stuff. It, it was actually much shorter because here's what happened. We found that, that as we honored God and we humbled ourselves and asked for his help, as we honored the plan, we found that there was these these crazy opportunities that happened. I call them opportunities. They were financial blessings. Pay increases, salary increases. That we were like, wait, you know, like the old us, we would have gotten this, this bit of money, these checks that came in or the salary increase and we would have spent it. But Lord, we want to honor you with this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put it towards our plan. We had one check come in that was, it was unexpected. And I don't, don't expect this. I don't know how this will play out in your life. But we had a $7,000 check come in that we didn't even know it was going to come in. And I, I can imagine God looking down on us when we got it. I, we were like, babe, we can go to see the mouse down in Florida. We can have us one of them expensive, you know, vacations that we've been putting off for a long time. We can do it. But we looked at that check and we prayed about it and we felt like the best thing we could do with it is honor our plan. So we took that money and we paid off debts. I am going to tell you, man, when we paid off that last one, dude, it was like a shouting fest at our house. We celebrated we went to Olive Garden. It was glorious. Had some breadsticks and some Alfredo sauce. All the carbs. 
But I feel like when we got that, God was looking down on us, testing us to see, will, will we do this? Will we honor him? And here's what I'm trying to say. I believe that when you honor God, when you make a plan, when you humble yourself and invite him into that plan, you say, help me. That you put you right back into a place of favor with him where on paper it may say that it's going to take you 10 years to deal with the hole that you're in. I've never seen anybody who did this process that their life played out the way it does on paper. It's always sooner. It's always sooner. Because when you honor God, it attracts his favor. And that's what you want, I promise you. This is my last verse for 1 Peter 5 says this. God opposes the proud. You don't want to be on that side. You don't want God's opposition in your life. It opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. It's simple. Humble yourself. Ask for his help. Because humility is coming one way or the other. You can choose to humble yourself or you'll be humbled by life. It's a choice you get to make. So you need to choose a plan. You have to decide something as simple as debt is bad, saving is good, giving is fun, and stuff is worthless. It's meaningless. Humble yourself and every day trust God. And do the last part of this verse, and it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, today we, we just come before you and me included, we just confess that we've made a mess of things. Lord, and in this moment, we feel like we're in a hole that we can't get out of. But right now, I just pray today that we would realize that your way works. God, help us to have courage to take steps towards your way and doing things your way. Help us to admit that we, we made it. We made this mess. We, 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 we did it. It's us. Lord, help us to let people into our lives who can help us out. Give us the courage to take off the mask and reveal the mess that we're in. Lord, and I pray, God, that, that we would do this today. Not tomorrow, not wait until next week, that we would make a decision to do it today. And as we do it, we would humble ourselves and ask for your help as we're doing now. Father, I pray that you would just let your favor shine upon us and let our delight be in doing things your way. As we continue to pray, I, I realize there's people here in this room that you feel far from God right now in this moment. In, in your desperate moment, in your desperate situation, you feel like he's so far away from you. But I'm here to tell you that he's just a breath away. In fact, he's, he would love for you today to, to make a confession of, of how far you feel from him and your need for him today. God's greatest desire is for you to know him today. So today, if you, if you want to say, look, I've made a mess and I need to learn how to do it your way, we call that making Jesus Lord of your life, letting him be in charge, learning his way of doing things. If you're ready to do that, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you'd like to be included in on that prayer, would you just let me know by lifting your hand now? Just say, Aaron, that's me. Just do that now. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. Thank you. We're going to pray that prayer. You can put your hands down now. We're going to pray that prayer. Church, can we pray this together? You just confess with your mouth right now, just mean with your heart. Say, Jesus, I've made a mess of my life. And I need your help. Forgive me of my sins. And show me a new way to be. I give you my life in exchange for yours. 
Thank you, Jesus. Amen.